You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theupc.org. Manuel, God with us. We are in a sermon series on the life of Joseph, not Mary's Joseph, who we heard read earlier in the reading during the lighting of our Advent wreath, actually the candle in the wreath. It would be a hazard if we lit the wreath. (laughs) But Joseph, the son of Jacob, one of the 12 contentious sons of Israel. Joseph, who last week was sold to traveling merchants as a slave by his brothers who resented their father's clear favoritism, along with their little brother's self-aggrandizing dreams, aggrandizing dreams. And today's story picks up after the brothers have falsified the story of what had happened, convincing their father that Joseph is dead. Now, given the length of the narrative, I'm going to read it for you. It's from Genesis 39. If you'd like to follow along, it's on page 31 in the black uh, pew Bibles in front of you. And when I'm finished reading, I will say, this is the word of the Lord. And if you affirm it, we'll all say together, thanks be to God. So let's hear the story in Genesis 39, the whole chapter. Now, Joseph was taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. Potiphar made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he had no concern for anything but the food that he ate. Now Joseph was handsome and good-looking. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, with me here, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my hand. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept anything back from me except yourself, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not consent to lie beside her or to be with her. One day, however, when he went into the house to do his work, and while no one else was in the house, she caught hold of his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she called out to the members of her household and said to them, see, my husband has brought among us a Hebrew to insult us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice, and when he heard me raise my voice and cry out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. Then she kept his garment by her until his master came home. And she told him the same story, saying, The Hebrew servant, whom you have brought among us, came in to me to insult me. But as soon as I raised my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. 
When his master heard the words that his wife spoke to him, saying, This is the way your servant treated me, he became enraged. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. He remained there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph, showed him steadfast love. He gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. The chief jailer committed to Joseph's care all the prisoners who were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The chief jailer paid no heed to anything that was in Joseph's care, because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are here with us now, Emmanuel. I pray by your grace, by the gift of your Holy Spirit, that the words that I speak, the meditations of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I don't know what I've been doing wrong in life to be given the story of Potiphar's wife in Advent. But Advent, as I said before, is that season in between. We had a a wonderful four-choir celebration of Christmas here yesterday afternoon. Uh, If you missed it, if you weren't able to make it, you can come back at the 1145 service in in our choir and ensemble. We'll be reprising some of the pieces. But two of the four choirs were from the University of Washington. Midway through the concert last night, Dr. Uh, Jeffrey Bors, who is the director of choral studies, stood up to thank this congregation uh, for our partnership with the University of Washington. He identified himself as a fellow Advent traveler, as someone who lives in between the times of incarnation and return. Called himself a sojourner. And he thanked us in this congregation for making a home for himself and the students at the University of Washington who are also sojourners, who are in between embarking uh, away from home and into their careers and, and the fulfillment of what they hope to do in their vocation. It was a remarkable and very gracious uh, uh, speech. And it really made me think about this, about this, this, this business of being an Advent traveler in the middle of embarking and arrival, in the middle of incarnation and return, somewhere in the middle place of our life's vocation. Because this is where Joseph is in the story. Now, we know the end of Joseph's story. We know the ending. We read it last week. You can read it again in uh, Genesis uh, 50, where he looks at his brothers with whom he's been reconciled after he's risen to power in Egypt and demonstrated himself to be a brilliant administrator who saves the entire ancient Near East from the devastating effects of a seven-year famine. But that's the end of the story. We're in the middle today. Today's passage is years away from that triumphant end, years away from the declaration that God intended his brother's harmful act, evil act, for good, a good that would save many, many lives from death by famine. See, Joseph is our fellow Advent traveler in today's narrative. It's a narrative that moves literally from the pit that his brothers had thrown him in to restoration in a foreign land, and then the loss of it all again in prison. How does a person like Joseph keep faith? There's a temptation to believe the story's over. 
There's a temptation to believe that the circumstances determine whether or not God is present. Did you notice this in the passage? It's, it's so well written. All these things happen that from the outside would make you think God is nowhere to be found. And what phrase do we hear from the narrator at least four times in there? Do you remember it? You can say it out loud. The Lord was with Joseph Emmanuel. Now, given the news of Nelson Mandela's death this last week, it was impossible not to uh, see connections between his story and Joseph's. The world is captivated by the news of Mandela's passing because the world was captivated by the story of his life. And reading again this week about his long journey through resistance and injustice, prison and ultimately vindication, made me start to wonder. I wonder how this looks in the middle of the story. Like Joseph, the the depth of Mandela's character was revealed in the midst of the adversity that he faced. This, This man, Joseph, the depth of his character, his capacity as an administrator is revealed by the adversity that he faces. And who would have guessed that in Joseph's case, this entitled second youngest son of Israel who used to prance about in a long-sleeved robe would rise to become the greatest administrator of his time in the ancient Near East. And like Mandela, he lived with faith in a vision during the days of the pit and the prison. Now, as I read the witness of Mandela's fellow prisoners in the news, I wondered, I wonder how Joseph's fellow prisoners would tell the story from the end of chapter 39. What if there are these two prisoners talking? So let's have a little story this morning for Advent. I wonder if you'll do this imaginative experiment with me as fellow Advent travelers, listening and asking the question, how do we learn from Joseph for the perspective of his fellow prisoners to live as if God is, in fact, with us? So imagine that once in an Egyptian prisoner, two prison, two of the prisoners sit down for a meal together. They have been servants, personal servants to Pharaoh. One of them's a baker. One of them's a cupbearer. And that afforded them certain privileges as they awaited their fate and their sentencing. They'd been assigned a Hebrew slave to look after their needs. Well, on this night, after the Hebrew leaves the room, the cupbearer says casually to the baker, so have you heard that fellow's story? What fellow? The baker replies. Well, Joseph, the Hebrew, the one who just left the room. Oh, the lackey. Why do you call him that? Well, he's a tool, sneers the baker. He's the only man in here who lives like he's actually free doing the prisoner keeper's jobs for him, if you ask me. The cupbearer laughed at this. Well, it isn't doing us any harm, is it? Would you rather this place was actually run by that idiot of an overseer? Well, true enough, answered the baker in between bites. The Hebrew is a better manager than any of the other managers in Pharaoh's household. So what's his story then? Where'd he learn this? Well, take a guess, says the cupbearer. All right, the baker says, leaning back from his plate for a minute, looking at the ceiling to think. Well, given his looks and talent, favorite servant of a foreign king who hacked someone off and found himself sold to slave traders. Pretty close, says the cupbearer. Not quite. Favorite official. Favorite son says the cupbearer, sold into slavery by his jealous brothers as an alternative to killing him. (sighs) Brutal, the baker says and starts eating again. 
So Potiphar buys him, puts him in charge of the prison. Oh, it's much better than that, said the cupbearer. Potiphar buys him and assigns him to the house without knowing that this kid had never worked a day in his life. He was quite the little prince in his own household, only in demeanor, mind you. Nomadic family, shepherds, but this guy is given a house coat and the task of keeping an eye on the rest of the lot. So he shows up here without a clue of what it takes to run an actual household. Wait a second, the baker interrupts. Why put a nomadic shepherd in the household? Why not assign him to the fields? That's my question, the cupbearer replies. The Hebrew figures that his God was looking after him, seemed as surprised as anyone at how good he is managing things. So good that in no time at all, Potiphar notices that anything this slave touches turns to gold. The fields return a better harvest, the livestock are healthier, the household runs smoothly. Potiphar is no fool. He places everything under the authority of this Hebrew slave, except, of course, the intimacies, food and sex, the baker interjects. Exactly, says the cupbearer. And the whole estate thrives. So how do you end up down here, asks the baker. Oh, this is the saucy bit, says the cupbearer. He sets his elbows on the table and leans in, lowers his voice. Potiphar's wife. The baker lets out a wolf whistle before the cupbearer can shut him up. Hey, keep it down. The woman is a cougar, the baker retorts. (laughs) She takes her pick of young male slaves. Well, not this one, the cupbearer continues. He refused her. Told her flat out it would be a violation of her husband's trust. Savvy says the baker. Fooling around with the pool boy is one thing, but sleeping with the man who basically is master of the house in every other respect fairly topples the social hierarchy. The Hebrew knows his place. Yeah, you'd think so, said the cupbearer. That's not why he did it. Did what, says the baker. Refused her, answers the cupbearer. So you mean that's not why he didn't do it? Didn't do what, asks the cupbearer. Sleep with her, says the baker. Shut up and let me finish, says the cupbearer. He didn't turn her down to preserve the hierarchy of the household. He refused her out of loyalty to Potiphar, out of loyalty to his God. The baker scoffs. So this guy actually believes that marriage is under some sort of divine protection. Oh, yeah, the cupbearer says, with more than a hint of respect in his response. This Hebrew truly believes that his God, the Lord, was with him, placed him in Potiphar's household, prospered his work and blessed the people and animals and even the land through him, that violating the marriage bed would be a violation of his Lord's command. My God was blessing this house through me, the Hebrew said to me. Who was I to do this harmful thing to a man who had treated me with greater trust and respect than my own brothers? Tool, the baker scoffs. Why do you keep calling him that? The cupbearer shoots back. Because that's what he is, the baker snarls. That's what we all are, tools. Objects in the hand of the people who own us. I'd have slept with that wife, shown I have some dignity of my own. And that's why you're down here, the cupbearer responds. Sleeping with her plays right into her hands. He was smart to refuse. He'd worked hard with what he'd been given. And he clearly loved the work he did, loved being good at it. He doesn't strike me as a patsy. Yeah, so how did he end up down here then, says the baker. (sighs) That's the tragedy as I see it, 
the cupbearer replies. The wife was after him. The more he refused her, the more determined she is to have him. And one day he's in the house doing his work, same as any other day, only this day she catches him alone, makes another move, and when he moves away, she grabs his clothes and he's forced to flee the room without him. Naked, the baker laughs out loud. He didn't have an outer cloak on. He's working indoors, the cupbearer explains. She ripped away the only cloak he had on. It was humiliating. She, of course, immediately starts shouting out at the other domestics that she's been violated, offers the cloak as evidence, and then, in a remarkably dramatic turn, lies it down next to her and waits for Potiphar to come home. Oh, this is just nasty, the baker says. He's forgotten all about eating the rest of his meal and for the first time is totally caught up in the story the cupbearer is telling him. She has him dead to right. Oh, no way out of this one, the cupbearer agrees. Doesn't matter if Potiphar believes her or not. He has to keep his household under control. The man was furious, doesn't even call Joseph in for an explanation. Just sends him down here to prison. And here's the kicker. This Hebrew continues to live as he always has. Pretty soon, the overseer of the prison realizes he has someone on his hands who's competent, reliable, loyal, puts the management of the entire prison into his hands. Oh, and let me guess, the baker says. This little dreamer believes that if he's good, his God will get him out of here. I don't think so, the cupbearer muses. I think he honestly believes that his God is with him in here, remaining loyal to him, even in free fall. I mean, you've seen him. He works as if his master is always watching. And it isn't out of fear. I think it's out of loyalty. The baker scoffs. It's stupidity. Dumb, blind trust that if he keeps up his end of the bargain, his God will bless him. Eh, what if it's the other way around? The cupbearer replies thoughtfully. What if he believes that if he keeps up his end of loyalty... God will bless all those around him. You can tell a lot about a person's God by the way they do their work, especially when none of the circumstances fall their way. Well, the baker's done eating, clearly done listening as well, but asks as he wipes his mouth, yeah? And what can you tell me about this Hebrew's God besides the obvious fact that following him will likely land you forgotten in prison? The cupbearer pauses before replying, a sort of God who stays with a person no matter what the circumstances, that this is how the Hebrew Lord takes his blessing to the most unlikely places. Well, now the baker's really done listening, pushes away from the table, says dismissively as he goes, would you seriously remain loyal to a God like that? And to his back as the baker leaves, the cupbearer replies, I don't know, but I will say this, in this entire prison, who's the one man who conducts himself as if he's entirely at home? Without turning around, the baker answers, Joseph the Hebrew, as he leaves the room. The only man in this place who lives like he's already free, the cupbearer finishes. Now we'll pick this story back up next week. As George continues the narrative of Joseph's life, you can also use that Advent home worship book that we gave you to pick it up yourself. Keep reading along with us there at the kiosk as you go. But today, here's what actually struck me about Joseph's life. I thought I was going to be preaching a sermon on seduction and temptation. What struck me, however, was this is mainly a sermon about vocation and our life work. 
that Joseph did not wait for circumstances to change before he believed that God was with him. He lived in the belief that God was with him, no matter the circumstances. Did you catch that? Joseph did not wait for the circumstances to change before he would believe and live like God was with him. He believed and lived that God was with him in the midst of the circumstances. So the temptation wasn't simply adultery. The temptation was to start believing God wasn't there. Joseph did not despair of God's loyalty. And with God continuing to be loyal to him, how could he do less in any arena? And this is what reveals the true vocation of Advent travelers, those of us who live between Jesus' first coming and his return. God with us, Emmanuel. We don't demand that the circumstances of these days in between prove that God is here. We pray for the faith to live the reality that God is here, that others may be blessed and find a home. Because that was the ultimate test in Joseph's life, and it's ours as well. Not our personal blessing, it's the blessing of others. God with Joseph blesses Potiphar's household. God with Joseph blesses the other prisoners. God with Joseph blesses ultimately the entire ancient Near East. God in Jesus did not bless Jesus. He blessed us through Jesus. God in and with us blesses our neighborhoods, our friends, our families through us. Just like Dr. Jeffrey Bors said, we make a home for others. So this Advent, I wonder where you are tempted to believe yourself abandoned by the circumstances of your life. I wonder if you'll pray during our reflection time for the grace to believe that God is with you and the courage to live out that loyalty. I wonder if you'll relinquish to God the places you've been taking things in your own hands, either sinning against others or sinning against yourself in despair. And trust that God is present and working. Because as we did last week, during the reflection time, you're invited to get up. I know it's awkward with the pews, but your neighbors will let you in and out. It works well. You're invited during Byron's solo of Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silence to come up and to light a candle as you pray. And we light the candle, especially for a place where we long to see the presence of God made tangible in our lives, through our lives, in the lives of others. Because here is the good news of Jesus' first advent. God is with you, here and now. We are an advent people looking to Jesus' first coming to anticipate his second. But as Jesus said, when the Son of Man arrives, will he find faith on the earth? Amen. For more UPC audio or to find out about service times, visit us at upc.org. All online audio is available on CD and cassette. To order copies of sermons and classes, please visit upc.org slash audio, email audio at upc.org, or call 206-524-7301, extension 117.